At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. You know, this evening we gather together and we come together to remember Good Friday. But have you ever really thought about that word before? Good Friday. Why is this day called good? Why would a day where an innocent man was tortured and hung on a cross be called good? Why would a day when one of the greatest injustices of all of human history occurred be called good? Why would a day when the Son of God breathed his last and died be called good? Well, this evening, we're going to dive into the book of Matthew, and we're going to look at some eyewitness accounts of those who saw the crucifixion, and we're going to see just why we celebrate Good Friday. Just why on Good Friday, we can remember and we can celebrate the cross of Jesus Christ. So please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 54 this evening. And what we're going to see is that for Matthew, who wrote this gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ is good news. The cross of Jesus Christ is something to be celebrated. And we're going to see why. And we're going to see it by looking at the eyewitness account of four different people as we see the trial of Jesus, as we see the the condemning of Jesus. And we're going to ask some different questions of ourselves as we look at the text this evening. Matthew chapter 27, verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. See, what we see here is our story picks up in the middle of Jesus' trial. And Jesus is standing before the governor, Pilate. And Pilate is trying his case as his accusations are coming against Jesus, that he has claimed to be the son of God, that he's claimed to be God himself. And Jesus has given no answer at all. No matter what has happened to him, he's been quiet. And the governor asks him the question, do you hear what they are bringing against you? Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus responds and says, you have said so. It's almost as Jesus is asking him the question, what do you think? And really the question we have to consider from this eyewitness account is was Jesus guilty or was Jesus innocent? Was Jesus guilty of crimes that would cause him to be crucified as a criminal or was he innocent and was crucified for the sins of others? Well, let's look at this account from Pilate. Verse 15, now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. 
And they had with them a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to him, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him saying, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having Jesus scourged, delivered him to be crucified. In this scene, Pilate doesn't know what to do with Jesus You know, Pilate, he's tried many people before and he's condemned many people and he's let some people go free because they are innocent. And we see this seasoned judge, this seasoned governor looking at Jesus and looking at the accusations against him. And he says, this man's innocent, what has he done? He even goes so far as to say, there's this insurrectionist and murderer, Barabbas. Do you want him to come out and be with you and your families and live among you again? Or do you want Jesus to be free? The crowd shockingly says, free Barabbas. You can imagine Pilate is shocked. He thought that they would say free Jesus. Of course, why would they say free Barabbas? He says, what do we do with your king? Crucify him. You know, as we look at this, we see from the testimony of Pilate that Jesus was innocent. Jesus was not condemned for his own crimes nor condemned for his own sins. Jesus was innocent. On that good Friday, an innocent man died. So we see an innocent God-man being condemned to be crucified. In the next scene, we're going to be looking at the witness of the soldiers who prepared Jesus for the crucifixion. The text continues. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him. They took the reed and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. When they came to a place called Golgotha, which means a place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. 
Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. As we continue to look at the historical account of what happened to Jesus, we see another set of witnesses, the soldiers. Now, as we see the actions of the soldiers, we see what they thought of Jesus. They thought Jesus was a liar. They thought Jesus was a lunatic. They thought Jesus was a crazy man who was claiming to be God. And so they mocked him. They performed a, a, a mock coronation ceremony for him where they put a robe around his back and they put together a crown of thorns and placed it on his head. They beat him and struck him and treated him worse than they would many criminals because of the ridicule that they gave to him. Yet this is an ironic thing that's happening here. See, what the soldiers don't know is their mocking worship is actually wor worshiping the creator of the universe. That the one that they are crowning as king of the Jews truly is that king of the Jews. The, the one that they put a reed in his hand as a scepter is king of kings and lord of lords. We see these men who have been deceived, yet they're worshiping him in a mocking manner. The second question, was Jesus a criminal or was Jesus the king? Truly, we will see the answer to these questions. The question you must ask yourself today is, do you believe that Jesus is the king? We move on in the historical account to our third witness, which is the crowd. Jesus is taken up to the hill called Golgotha. He is placed on a cross, and as he is hanging there, he is ridiculed by the crowd. Verse 39. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, yet he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he has said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Those who are standing before him, watching him be crucified, are throwing insults and statements that he has made at him. Also, those who are on either side of him are ridiculing him. But what Matthew presents is not a liar or a lunatic. What he's presenting is the suffering servant. The suffering servant that's spoken about in Isaiah chapter 53 where we're told of one who would come who would suffer because God caused him to pay for the sins of many. The first statement, let's look at these statements because we have to start examining this text because it truly is ironic because the things they're throwing at him that they're saying, he's saying these ridiculous things 
he's really fulfilling in their presence. Look at the first statement. You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Jesus had said this previously. I will destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. Yet they thought he was talking about the physical structure of the temple, but that is not what he was talking about. He was talking about his very own body. He was talking about what is happening right now. He was talking about his crucifixion. The next statement, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Now, truly, as we look at the life of Jesus, one who raised people from the dead, one who walked on water, one who calmed storms, one who just days early in the garden of Gethsemane was surrounded by soldiers and spoke and they fell on the ground. You think he couldn't have saved himself? You think not in a moment, in a word, he could have saved himself? No, what we see here is obedience to God. What we see here is Christ's suffering for sinners. What we see laid out here is the fulfillment of what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. I want to take you back there for just a minute. Jesus comes with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane and he goes off and he prays. And this is what occurs. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed this, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, what we see here is that Jesus is doing the only thing possible to save sinners. What we see here is him obeying the will of his father. Jesus said, any other way, Lord, if there's any other way possible, let that occur, not this. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He is in this, fulfilling the will of the Father. 43, they say he trusts God. Let God deliver him now. It is precisely because of his trust in God that Jesus hangs on the cross. Because God put him on the cross. In the sovereign control of God, God placed Jesus on the cross. Isaiah 53 tells us this. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of many people, and then he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, listen to this verse, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. 
The cross is the will of God. The cross is the plan of God. And the cross is for the glory of God. And what we see here is Jesus living out the will of the Father in submission to him, doing that which can save sinners and bring God the most glory. Yet those around him did not see it. The fourth and final witness that we see is the witness of the cross. We see some things at the death of Jesus that are absolutely mind-blowing, and I want to look at them with you. Verse 45, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders heard it and said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put a reed on it and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. I want you to see something right there. See, crucifixion was supposed to take many days. If you recall, when, when it was time for Sabbath to occur, the soldiers went to break Jesus' leg as they did to the other criminals, and Jesus had already died. Because the soldiers didn't even decide when Jesus died. He yielded up his own spirit. He decided when he would die. Then we see miraculous things occur in verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. Now listen to this. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, that means they were dead, were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. <laughs> When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. What we see here is in this proclamation that the cross reveals that Jesus is the Son of God. Look at the things that occur and the power that you see within this text. I want to point some of them out for you. First, we see the curtain of the temple absolutely torn in two from top to bottom. Now, this was a 60-foot high curtain. It was not possible for a human to rip this curtain, especially not from top to bottom. Now, what this curtain did is it protected the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where you could go and worship God. And where only one person, the, the high priest, could come in one time a year. And if he wasn't right of heart before God, he would die. That's how serious it was to come into the presence of God. Yet what we see happen here is we see that now direct communication with God is given to all peoples. What we see here is that Jesus is king over the temple. We see that Jesus is the holy of holies. We see that he is powerful over the temple, which is massive. 
The next thing that we see, we see that it turns dark for three hours. Now you have to remember this is a Roman culture. They had a God for everything under the sun and the sun itself. They worshiped the sun. Yet in Jesus' death, the sun is blocked out for three hours. Jesus has power over all creation and over the sun. Then we continue to see things happen. The earth begins to shake. An earthquake happens. And not only does an earthquake happen, the tombs start opening up. And people start raising from the dead who have been dead. They don't only do that. They go and walk into Jerusalem and hang out with the people. Can you imagine this? You're out at the market in Jerusalem or you're worshiping at the temple. You look and you see Grandma Gertrude, (laughs) who's been dead for 20 years, hanging out with a bunch of other people who've been dead for 20 years. You might take notice. You might think something supernatural might be happening at that moment. Yet what happens in that moment is more powerful than just people raising from the dead. See, what it showed in that moment is that Jesus Christ is Lord over creation. Jesus Christ is king over the temple and that Jesus Christ is king over death and life. And we see that the cross reveals this. And this all closes out with a Roman centurion, a commander who oversees a hundred soldiers, standing at the cross of Jesus, watching him die, hearing the ridiculing, hearing the mocking, and then seeing all the things that happened. And he says a statement that could have gotten him killed. Truly, this was the son of God. Now you have to understand that from a very young age, all Romans were taught that Caesar was the son of God. In fact, even on their coins, it said, Caesar is the son of God. Yet something happened that day that made the centurion proclaim a phrase that could have gotten him killed. Truly, this is the son of God. That's the question you have to ask yourself today. Do you believe he is the son of God? A Roman centurion, somebody who would have overseen his beating and mocking, somebody who would have helped place him on the cross, somebody who would have thought of him as a crazy criminal, now sees him as the crucified Christ. question you have to ask yourself today is who is Jesus? As we've seen in these testimony of these witnesses that Jesus was an innocent son of God who willingly submitted himself to the most painful death ever imagined. Why? Because it was the will of the Father. It pleased God to crush him. Why? 
John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you're someone here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, today is the day. Because truly, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. The events of his crucifixion testify that he is God. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus today, all you have to do is realize that you're a sinner. By nature and by choice, this means that you're not perfect in the eyes of God. And because of that, you've been separated from God. And every person who's ever been born because of this separation deserves punishment for their sins. In the Bible, we see that this punishment is eternal torment in a place called hell. Yet the cross reveals that Jesus is the son of God. And I told you before that Matthew sees the cross as good news because in the cross, a way is made. In the cross, reconciliation can happen. In the cross, you can be forgiven. So if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, pray before God and confess that you're a sinner. Ask God to forgive you. Place your trust in him and ask him to take over your life. Surrender to him as the Roman centurion surrendered. Surrendered possibly his very life by proclaiming truly this was the son of God. For the Christian, we get opportunity to remember what the cross was so many times at Good Friday services, we remember the suffering and the pain and the agony. Yet, because we know the end of the story, we can celebrate the cross. Because we see what happened on the cross, that a way was made for us. That to as many as do receive him, to them gives he power to become the sons of God you've surrendered your life to Jesus, we can remember the cross and thank the Lord for his suffering. Yet we can also say hallelujah for the cross. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.